Good morning and welcome to Echoes of Calvary. This is your host, Greg Sweeting. Thank you for opening your home to us this morning. I invite you to now open your hearts and worship with us as we share from the Word of God. Stay with us as we share comments and illustrations with a spiritual application, present special music to call us to worship, and in a few minutes, Pastor Alan Lee will come to share insights from Scripture and explain how to apply God's Word that we might grow to be complete in Christ. Well, 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 I've heard it all now. In the most recent issue of Newsweek magazine, I read about the God particle. Have you heard about it yet? Its possible finding was announced in a news release to the world from Switzerland at the CERN Institute on December the 13th. Notice the wording that they used in their release, a possible finding. They're not absolutely positive that they have found this particle of matter. As a matter of fact, the stuff these scientists delve into are so infinitesimally small, atoms and nuclei and matter and antimatter and such, that much of what they do is not seen, but rather theorized and even calculated into its existence. It's the stuff of science fiction. The scientific community love to tell us that they cannot prove God exists, but they can tell us apparently that they can calculate the fact that this impossibly tiny, invisible to the naked eye particle actually exists. It's like Sir Isaac Newton and his revelation and the discovery of gravity. The old story says that he saw an apple fall from a tree to the ground, something which apples have done since time immemorial. But Sir Isaac asked the simple question, why, and set about to answer that question. When he eventually explained it, his explanation came to be known to us as gravity and changed the world. Invisible and intangible, we know it exists because we can see the apples falling and we know something is causing them to drop, being pulled to the earth's surface. That's gravity. In the same way, a man by the name of Peter Higgs, working sounds like a Bahamian, but he was working at the Edinburgh University some years ago, and he also asked a question. This time the question was about mass. For decades, scientists have been trying to explain what mass is and how does it happen to be so. It was a result of this long search to answer that question about mass that Newton derived his famous formula, E equals mc squared, and the world changed again. But these scientists insisted that there was nothing more to the question but other answers to be derived. Black holes and antimatter were discussed and observed phenomena, all of which suggested that there existed this boson which no one had ever seen, something that held everything together and gave them mass. Hence, some vigorous editor once coined the term that describes this elusive entity. He called it the God particle. Something that seems to exist has never been seen and that holds the universe in some established order. I think that editor was on to something, don't you? Here's our first song call.
Isn't it fascinating how some of these so-called intelligentsia of the world can be so accepting of such theories and explanations, but still refuse to accept that God exists? In the announcement from CERN and the scientific excitement that evidence has been seen that might show the existence of this Higgs boson or God particle, scientists believe it but open a discussion about the God of, and creator of the universe and the one who made all these things in the first place, and they cower and back away. Try to introduce them to the author of life and the real God particle, if you will, and they flee and seek refuge in their formulae and high-strung documents and cannot fully explain the things of this invisible God. Yet things that in their own way clearly show who he is and that he does exist. Centuries ago, long before Professor Higgs asked his now famous question about math, a traveling evangelist, a tent maker, religious philosopher named Saul, wrote to the sophisticated intellectuals living in Rome, the then world's center of learning and government. For the wrath of God, he said, is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has shown it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that, when they knew God... They glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, and to birds, four-footed beasts, and creeping things. Do you have the same feeling that I have, that if the Apostle Paul was writing this epistle to a modern situation, he could easily have written, and I changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image to suit the incorruptible attempt to explain God away, but making him appear to be a God particle, not the omnipotent creator God to whom they all must one day bow and acknowledge as lords of lords. To me it's simple. Why do they try so hard to explain away the obvious? Again, Paul wrote it well, speaking to these charlatans and unbelievers, he said, God gave them up. They who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator who is blessed forever. For this cause God gave them up. What an awful fate. Terrible tragedy. The evidence is all around them, but they refuse to see it.
Now for the message for today, here's our pastor, Alan Lee. Greetings in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a joy to be able to study the Word of God together once again with you. And today we begin a short series of biblical studies on the mysteries of the Bible. And we want to begin with the mystery of the kingdom of heaven. First, let's define the term mystery as used in scripture. A mystery is a truth previously unrevealed by God, but now revealed at his discretion as to time, place, and means. It is a truth hidden in the Old Testament, but revealed in the New. The Apostle Paul defines a mystery in Colossians chapter 1 verse 26 with reference to one of the twelve mysteries to be found in the New Testaments. He says, quote, The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. End of quote. Now we will be looking at this particular mystery at a later time. But for today, we direct our attention to Matthew chapter 13 and the mystery of the kingdom of heaven. And we are doing so because of the emphasis that is placed on the kingdom in today's world. We believe it is necessary for us to look at it from a biblical perspective. Now, it's important for us to look at the context or the background of Matthew chapter 13 if we are to understand what Jesus is teaching here. The Jews were expecting the Messiah to deliver them politically from their oppressors and establish his kingdom or rulership on earth. Jesus claimed to be the Messiah King. But Jesus did not see their political aspirations being addressed in his life and ministry. And so they rejected him. One of the most momentous and history-changing and history-making events ever to happen on this earth happened at that time. And so Matthew is explaining to the questioning Jewish nation the true nature of God's kingdom as it related to Jesus and then present time. Again, my friends, I want to emphasize, if there was ever a paradigm shift in history, it was then when the Jewish nation rejected Jesus Christ as their Messiah King, and his kingdom was not able to be established when he came to establish it the first time. And so Jesus' main emphasis is to reveal that the anticipated kingdom was to be delayed or postponed for an even longer period. And a new form of the kingdom, which was not anticipated in the Old Testament, would come into existence during the interim period. Dr. Dwight Pentecost describes this in this way, quote, The mystery was the fact that when the one in whom this program would be realized was publicly presented, he would be rejected, and an age would fall between his rejection and the fulfillment of God's purpose of sovereignty at his second advent. The mystery form of the kingdom, then, has reference to the age between the two advents of Christ. The mysteries of the kingdom of heaven 
describe the conditions that prevail on the earth in that interim period, while the king is absent. These mysteries thus relate to this present age, to the eternal purpose of God in regard to his kingdom on earth. The mystery form of the kingdom has reference to the things that were hitherto unrevealed. It is definitely limited as to time, and it represents the entire sphere of profession in this present age. End of quote. Now, we need to realize also that both new and old truths or revelation are taught by the parables of Jesus in Matthew 13. And perhaps the key verse is verse 52. This is what it says, quote, Jesus said to them, Therefore every teacher of the law who has been instructed about the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. Now, based on this being a key to this chapter, the following divisions of the parables may be made. First, the owner of the storeroom is Jesus Christ, the King. The storeroom itself is the Word of God. Thirdly, the new treasures are revealed in the first four parables of the chapter. First, we have the seed, the parable of the seed and the soils. This parable describes the proclamation of the kingdom. Then we have the parable of the wheat and the tares. This describes the false imitation that take place in the kingdom. The third parable, the mustard tree, describes the wide visible extension of the kingdom. The fourth kingdom, or rather the fourth parable, that of the leaven in the meal, describes the invisible inner extension of the kingdom. These four parables present the new truths that Jesus is teaching concerning this mystery kingdom. The old treasures are described in the final three parables. The parable of the treasure represents the subjects of the true kingdom. Verse 44. The parable of the pearl represents the voluntary sacrificial death of Jesus Christ for his subjects verses 45 and 46. And the final par parable, the seventh, that of the dragnet, describes the judgment of the nations at the end of the tribulation period. That parable is found in verses 47 through 50 of Matthew 13. Now I want you to note here, there was no mystery in the Old Testament that God would establish an earthly kingdom. In fact, this was a subject of numerous prophecies. However, it was a mystery, something hidden, that there would be a period of time between the presentation of the king and Israel's acceptance of him as such, so that the kingdom could be established. The Old Testament predicted the rejection of the Messiah king, but it did not uh, predict the postponement of that kingdom. This interim period brought about by this rejection includes the church age and the tribulation and ends with the return of Jesus Christ and Israel's official acceptance of his king. It is at that time 
that he will usher in the millennium, God's kingdom on earth. And it is important to note that this has special and specific reference to the Jewish people, not the church of Jesus Christ. But now, when we get into verses 10 through 17 of Matthew chapter 13, we have Jesus explaining his reasons for speaking in parables. And he says there are three reasons. It's to reveal new truth to believers. It is to hide new truth from those who do not believe. And it is to fulfill prophecy. Listen to his words. The words of the king himself. At this time, it was the words of the rejected king by Israel. Verse 10. The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more. And he will have an abundance. This has to do now in the context, by the way, with the truth of the kingdom. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. This is why I speak to them in parables. Those seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn. And I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, because they see, and your ears, because they hear. For I tell you the truth. Many prophets and righteous men long to see what you see, but not, did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Now down to verse 34, and also verse 35 of Matthew, 34, of Matthew 13. Quote, Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. End of quote. Parables then were spoken by Jesus to reveal truth to believers, conceal that same truth from unbelievers, and to fulfill, prof- and to fulfill prophecy. And in Matthew chapter 13, these parables are all related to the mystery of the interim period between his first and second coming to set up his kingdom on earth. You see, my friend, a second coming was necessitated because of his rejection as king by Israel at his first coming. Again, I emphasize, it is important to note that Jesus' earthly kingdom has to do primarily if not exclusively with the Jewish nation. This kingdom will be brought into being when Jesus Christ literally sits on the throne of David in the literal city of Jerusalem. My friends, there is much confusion being taught about the kingdom of God today, or I should say there is much error that results in confusion that is being taught about the kingdom today. Truths specifically meant for Israel are being applied to the church and vice versa. 
resulting in much erroneous teaching and biblical and theological destabilization of the people of God and utter confusion on the part of the unsaved. Now my friends, Jesus knew this would happen. He warns about false teachers. He warns about confusions. That's why he specifically teaches about the mystery aspect of the kingdom promised to Israel. We must give heed to Jesus' teachings and to his warnings if we are to remain stable and assured in our faith. Or in the words of the Apostle Paul in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 2, shaken or disturbed from our composure relative to our faith. That's what Paul says in this chapter in 2 Thessalonians 2. False teachings, erroneous teachings concerning these days in which we live, the end days, could result in the destabilization of the believer's faith, their composure, their emotional stability as Christians could be upset. And he's making the point, as did Jesus, that it is only the accurate teaching of the Word of God that can stabilize one's faith and give us that emotional stability that we need as believers. This is the end purpose of this series of messages, my friends. To provide stability to your faith through an accurate understanding and application of biblical truth, especially as it relates to the kingdom of God on earth. And so next time, we will look at the meaning of the parables in Matthew 13 and their significance to the mystery of the interim kingdom of God. Until then, this is Pastor Lee saying, Sila, think and act on these things. It can happen in a You have been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church in Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship service begins this morning at 11 o'clock in the sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We extend an invitation to you to join us on these occasions. If you would like to contact the church or Pastor Lee, address your letters to Echoes of Calvary, Post Office Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And so we come to an end of this broadcast. I invite you to think about the message this morning. Consider the one who is our Savior and Lord. Grow to be complete in Him. And remember, as echoes from Calvary stir in your heart, keep listening for that shout, Maranatha, the Lord is coming soon. Great command is promised, he will surely come again. I am listening every moment for the mighty trumpet sound. What a time we'll have together, 
happen in a moment. Jesus Christ could come again. I am listening every moment for the mighty trumpet sound. What a time we'll have together when the saints shall leave the ground and our toiling will be in a moment Jesus Christ could come again